Welcome to the Hypnotic Comic Live Show. Finding that entertainment without meaning isn't cutting it anymore? Do you want to feel deeply connected, yet lifted up into the heights of laughter? You found that place where comedy meets the full expansion of life's possibilities. Now, for your hypnotically comical host, Jenna Grayson! everybody! Thanks for joining the show today. I'm Jenna Grayson, your hostess, your flight attendant into space-time reality. Um, thank you guys for, for joining us today. We have a really special show. I am taking some extra risks today. My life seems to be about taking a lot of risks lately, so... We are going for it. Um, with the recent release of um, this anthology book that I participated in, that I wrote a chapter for, it's called I Am Still Here, Trials Turned into Transformation. Um, it became a Amazon bestseller, and uh, I decided to talk about my journey with it. So it's a little bit serious, but I'm going to try to keep it like... You know, I like to keep that balance, as you guys know, between the silliness and the seriousness, because I, I just have found in my own life anyway, the seriousness doesn't seem to go away. So silliness is a great medicine um, and balancer, and I am good at it. <laughs> I enjoy it. So I'm going with it. I'm just going to continue to go with it. But um <clears throat> So this 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 chapter was a really big stretch for me, and um, I'm going to be talking about that today. I'm going to be basically interviewing my own damn self, which can sound like a lot of ego, but hopefully it will just sound like humble humility as I go through um, the truth of what this journey has been. And uh, as you guys know, I'm performing regularly at the comedy store. I don't have my next date yet, but the last one we just had was super duper fantastically fun. January 18th was a really special show. And if you guys are on my Facebook, you saw that Gary Busey was there and his wife was in my show, um, Stephanie Busey, and she was a blast. And he is a total freaking riot. And I came away from meeting him with a lot of stories that are continuing to grow and develop in the name of Gary Busey. Um, he is a funny trip of a human and I have so much respect for his wife for so many reasons. Um, she did, a, she did a great job on the stage. She was talking about being a Malibu mom and having come from the Midwest and how, when she sees the other Malibu moms and uh, talks to them, what that's like with their perfectly glued back faces um, is very, very fun and cute. And so she's definitely worth checking out too. Um, so I wish I had a, a date for you guys, but um, I don't yet, but we'll keep you posted. Tonight I'm going to be going to an open mic out here in um, Manhattan Beach area with a girlfriend of mine and her boyfriend. So that will be fun. So I'm keeping the comedy alive and keeping the juices flowing. Um, so let's take a look at this book chapter. Um, I named this chapter 
laughing at death. Is that rude? I hope so. So um, the intro quote that I took for the book was from Osho. He's a great teacher, and he's like a very controversial person right now, especially with this movie that came out about him um, that I think is kind of a bummer because Osho has been such a great inspiration for me and such a great uh, teacher on courage, teacher on courage for me. And um, that journey of enlightenment and the silliness and and the... and the infinite possibilities of being with what is as it is and surrendering to what is. So he's still such a great teacher to me, and I'm really happy to highlight a teaching of his. He's written many, many books, and this recent documentary about his life um, after he died, I think in many ways did him a disservice, although um, I know many people who think that um, it was really just accurate. So I don't know if you guys want to call in and talk to me about it. It's called Wild Wild Country, by the way. Uh, let me give you the um, call-in number if you guys want to call in and ask a question or contribute in the conversation. I would love it. The number to call in is 888-627-6008. I'll say that one more time. It's The phone number is 888-627-6008. Okay, so the quote by Osho, he says, the real question, ready for the real question, here it comes. The real question is not whether life exists after death. The real question is whether you are alive before death. Damn, damn. If I could drop the mic right there, I would. But then you guys wouldn't be able to hear me after that. So what's the good of that? But I think that's a drop micer kind of a quote. Mic dropper? Is that better? A drop micer kind of quote. Um, The real question is not whether life exists after death. The real question is whether you are alive before death. So anyway, it's a really beautiful quote for a number of reasons. Um, And one of the reasons why I chose it was because um, within the story of this chapter and the story of my journey, um, I've really come to a place of valuing and getting the value of something that um, I think can sound kind of trite when it's just spoken as um, an ideal, you know. But I, I think that's really the way life is in a sense where it's like the truth is always super simple, you know, the truth is always simple, but then when you're not living it or experiencing it, it can sound trite. You know, it's like, just be present, you know, and you're like, great, I got shit to do. I got bills to pay. I got things to handle. I've got kids crying, like just be present. I've got, you know, bank accounts to attend to and things like this. But this idea, um, of really being alive before we die that really became illuminated for me and I'm hopeful to be able to translate my experience with words. Cause I think, you know, also it's really our experiences that teach us more than words, but you know, it might be kind of entertaining or enjoyable anyway, to listen to somebody else's experiences of loss and realization. Hopefully it'll bring some grace and ease to your journey listening to this. Um, 
So a lot of what this story is about is the transformation and illumination of life that came from losing my mom, um, first of all, which is just such a big, like, different kind of <laughs> mic dropping. It's like, oh, man, it's kind of like a dropping the dropping the boulder of life. It's like, ah, oh, shit. Like, we all know it's going to happen at some point. We all know that that time is going to come most likely in our lifetime. But, like, oh, really? We have to go through that? It was just really, really, really tough for me, and it came pretty unexpectedly. Um, my my mom was only sick for uh, a few days with pneumonia, and she died in the ICU. And um, I was alone with her, which was, like, such a remarkable experience. It was such an incredible experience. And believe it or not, at the time, it was a tremendously beautiful experience for me that I felt extremely grateful for. And that just sounds like such bullshit. I acknowledge that sounds like such fucking bullshit. And I, I mean, I hear myself saying that. I'm like, who says they're grateful to be present with their mother when they die? But I think you guys can also probably just sort of feel into what I'm saying and like how tremendous of an experience that could be in the pure presence of it in that place of really just attending to what's happening and, um, you know, doing my best to get out of my own emotional state and giving my mom this full permission to release her body. I'd had some, I'd had some sort of training in that, in a sense that I'd learned about death and how important it is to give people permission um, before this from one of my best friends from high school, her mom had been a hospice nurse. And so um, she had told me and my friend, I talked to her many times about the process of dying because I've just been interested in it for a long time. And I know that can sound really morbid, um, and it can be more of it. It certainly can be more of it. I'm not going to deny that. Like my interest in death can be really morose or morbid, um, but it can also be really illuminating, you know, and really enlightening. And, and that's the part that I'm really interested in is like, if we're all going to face this experience one day, shouldn't we be talking about it? Right? Like if we all have to go to a funeral one day shouldn't we like have an idea like what you should freaking wear you know i have a sense about like do people still wear black to funerals like no not that much they don't really call them funerals so much anymore they call them them celebrations of life so it's that kind of thing where i'm just interested in learning about if i'm going to go through this experience if we're all going to go through this experience of death shouldn't we be talking about it asking questions investigating looking to learn from it um, another teacher who I really like about, you know, a teacher in the realm of the journey of enlightenment, he talks about, it's, his name, he goes by Satguru, and he really talks about the importance of looking at death. And so I really appreciate that. And it's not from this place of morbidity at all, but it's actually from a place of um, really looking for happiness which is such a trip. So I'm just going to like pause for a second there. Yeah. He says that the one thing that you can do to live blissfully 
is to really acknowledge that your life journey is temporary. That that is the source of bliss. That is the source of joy in our lives, you know. And and I think in our Western culture, um, we often really look at death as a mistake, as an error, you know. Like medically speaking, oftentimes it's like, death is an, is an error. And when my mom died, coming back to when my mom died, it was such a blissful, joyful experience. Again, I know that sounds like bullshit, but I could feel my mother. I could feel my mom leaving her body. I could feel her presence coming out of her body. And, um, it was the first time I ever experienced or even really considered the possibility of my mom existing without the burden of her body. And I really realized in those moments what a burden my mom's body had been to her. And um, as I was experiencing that and encouraging her to release her body, to let go, to go, to be free, um, I could feel it happening to myself to my own being, my own body. It was like I was releasing a burden within my own belly. Um, people are interested in the world of subtle energy. You could say that's like your solar plexus or your identity center, you know, that place in your gut where you can feel so much tension. I could feel the release happening as my mom was releasing from her body. So it's really an extraordinarily beautiful experience. Um, and then... Soon after that, you know, she she flatlined on the, in medical terms. Since we're going to bring in the medical field here, and I don't have a lot of knowledge about that, but nevertheless, she flatlined. So that beeping sound happens, and then um, about six people rush into the room and kind of rush me out of the room while I was having this really beautiful experience. And they start doing CPR on my dead mother's body. And that was that was the hardest part of it, really. It wasn't that she died or transitioned or left her body. It was like the force, and I could feel the the enjoyment um, of the guy doing um, the the pressures on her chest, those compressions. Um, I could feel that he was enjoying it, and my mom's body was really distended and swollen and yellow, and her um, her organs had stopped working. So that was really kind of a weird, weird, um, or her kidneys, I should say, had stopped working. Um, so that was a weird experience. And I just kind of want to illuminate that, bring that to life. If there's, you know, that subject that's affecting anybody else's life, I can't imagine that it's not affecting all of us. That death isn't an error and that it's really an opportunity to be embraced. And as we do, and what this chapter, book chapter really talks about is as we do, embrace the reality of our impending <clears throat> demise. No, it's not really demise, but you know, it's like the end of this body, you know, it's, it's a, it's an opportunity to appreciate what we have. And in the yogic practices at the end of yoga, it's a great opportunity. And it's some, it's oftentimes, um, it's oftentimes sort of washed, washed, Whitewashed. Can we say that? 
without being mad. <laughs> it's whitewashed by the white motherfuckers. I'm one of them, if I can say that. But, you know, it's, it gets whitewashed that we lose the opportunity that at the end of yoga, we're meant to lay like a dead person. Supposed to lay like you did. It's called shavasana. It's also known as corpse pose. It's not an error and it's not an accident or a metaphor that there, it's called corpse pose. It's really meant to be literally an experience of laying with surrendering the body and surrendering the mind and noticing what you become without the body or the mind. Once you've really breathed so deeply and brought so much life and prana into your experience and stretched and opened the body, opened the heart, opened the hips, open the lungs, shoulders, the chest, the belly, and then just let go of the body and notice what you become. You become a dead person is what you become. You don't really become a dead person, but I think you, and in some ways you, you actually do because I think it's the closest to death that um, we can come, we can get to is that place of just really imagining it. So I also try to do that regularly in yoga or without it, just lay there and, and imagine leaving my body and like looking at my, my body, my face and my hair and my body and the different details of my physical form and let myself have that experience of going, oh, that's actually not me. That's actually not who I am. I'm more my consciousness, my awareness, this observer, this experiencer, than I am the comings and goings of the body's sensory experiences. So that's chapter one of chapter one. Um, so anyway, I just was hoping to illuminate with you guys and, and come into a place of feeling that... Um, experiencing the devastation of the loss of somebody really close to you can give us that opportunity um, of really appreciating life, of coming back into the body and going, oh, this is a gift. Oh, this is my chance. Oh, I am still here. The name of the book, that was a name drop there. I am still here. And what do I want to choose to do at this time? And it doesn't mean you're supposed to make it all perfect just because you've watched your mom die or because you get that life is such a gift, you know, or you realize that life in the body is temporary. But it really is a gift. And, and I think so much of what we're all seeking and the many things that we're doing or trying to do or trying to achieve, trying to become, um, is to really be in that place of being embraced and enough and surrendered and enjoying. And to me, that's, that's the highest, the highest path that I've found. And I'm really seeking it. You know, I'm really looking for that place of the highest as well as like, where do I have the most joy? Where can I enjoy this journey the most? And, and it's been a journey, you know, and it's, it's not pleasure. I've discovered pleasure is nice. And in so many spiritual and religious as well teachings, it's illuminated that pleasure is a temporary experience um, and it can become like a roller coaster, you know, seeking pleasure in the ups and downs of the physical sensory experiences. Um, 
it's really more so the sustained path is more about finding that inner sustained truth, you know? So that's the journey, people. That is the journey. And so bringing this, all this to come into talking about stand-up comedy that um, I got into after my mom died, um, I had had an interest in doing stand-up comedy for a really long time and felt like it could be really fun to take some classes or try it a little bit. Um, but it was never like a big dream to, well, maybe that's not entirely true as I'm saying that. I'm like, mm. you know, there's those times that I, maybe all of us have it. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear from other people um, as well. If other people watch stand-up comedians and go, oh, that would be so fun. I would love to do that, or I think I could do that. For me, Sarah Silverman has always been that example for me. Like, oh, God, I would love to do that. That would be so fun. I think I could do that. And I still feel like that. I still feel like that when I watch her. Um, she's just she's just so great and inspiring to me, and she's a nice Jewish girl like me, but not religious, obviously. <laughs> But we are both um, Jewy, even if we're not religiously Jewish. Although I do think that maybe that's why they call it Jewish. You only have to be like somewhat of a Jew. You really only have to have one parent. Let's be honest here. But like, you know, as Jews, we're like, your mother's Jewish. All right, you're in. Get in here. Grab a yarmulke. We got baby penises to get the cutting. Ah. Uh, I think we don't have enough circumcision jokes, so I'm working on integrating that into the mainstream. we got to talk about circumcision. It's another thing we really need to be investigating, talking about just going to keep on cutting the baby's penises because everybody else did it. Do you know in Africa, that's how they uh, rationalize, exactly how they rationalize female circumcision. Just saying. So... After my mama died, um, I started to hear other people <clears throat> saying to me, um, hey, Jenna, you should really do stand-up. And I was like, oh, God, I, I, I couldn't. I could never. Um, you know, it was, it's one thing to be funny one-on-one -on -one with a person or in a small couple people kind of group, but another thing to really plan on being funny in front of a room filled with people who are all looking at you, expecting you, paying for you to be funny. That is some kind of pressure that I was always like, I could never do that. And then I started to hear my mother's voice coming out of me when I say, oh, I couldn't. And I knew that was exactly what my mom was saying when she still had the gift of her body um, when people told her she should do stand-up comedy because she was really funny. She was very funny and she grew up really shy and so sort of developed that outgoingness as an adult um, and that all ties back into that place of the burden of her body you know like I knew that the reason why my mom said that she couldn't do stand-up comedy was because everybody was going to be looking at her in the room and that would be too painful for her. 
would be too vulnerable for people to see her, for her to be that seen, that exposed, and for people to be able to look at her body and for her to have to make jokes about her physical appearance, that it would be too vulnerable. And that's a lot of what her shyness as a child was about, was the, the I'm going to just say, Grandpa Lou, the shitty feedback you gave my mother when she was just a child made her really introverted, you know, and, and offered a lot of shame. My grandfather body shamed his daughter. And uh, so that really got in the way of her stand-up career. And uh, I knew that I carried some of that in me, you know, body shame and and feelings of not being enough. And I still can feel that, you know, I can still struggle with that. But the good news that I got to be blessed with the sort of advantage of knowing that we all feel like that. We all feel like that to some degree, you know, and I've heard so many people say since I've been doing stand up, I'd love to do that, but I could never, I I could never. And I think a lot of it comes back to that is this sense of shame about our physical appearance or a sense of unworthiness that we're not enough or that, you know, there's a great fear of being humiliated. And it's understandable because humiliation is no joke. Nobody likes that. It's like one of the most common nightmares, public humiliation. I know I grew up with nudity, uh, (laughs) nudity nightmares. That should be a book. Nudity nightmares, nudity nightmares on channel 11 news. Um, but yeah, I remember having these nightmares that, um, that I would show up to school naked in grade school. And um, I would tell the other students while they're staring at me naked, I'm like nine years old, humiliated already, in my sleep, don't worry. And I would tell them in my dream, I was a very clever nine-year-old, I would tell them, oh, I'm not naked. I'm just wearing a naked suit. And that seemed to suit me just fine. That was a good pun, I think, there. Um, So, yeah, if you ever catch me naked in public, I'm not actually naked. It's just a naked suit. And that's my story, sticking with it. So, nevertheless, coming back to talking about, um, you know, dealing with being seen and dealing with the fears of being humiliated and body shame and not being enough. And it's also something I look at with Sarah Silverman. I'm like, dude. She's so much thinner than I am, or her features are more subtle, or her hair is more shiny. You know, if I only had all of these qualities, then I too could do what she's doing. But I also know that that's just a conversation we're having, you know? It's just a conversation I'm having with myself, and it might actually not be true. It might actually not be true. It might just be a conversation of limitation, you know? Like, I could do it if. I could do it if my nose was smaller. I could do it if my hips were smaller, my thighs were thinner. Like, oh, good Lord. Am I going to do that for the rest of my life? And then one day die and be like, I could have done it, but my thighs weren't thin enough. 
so there's that. I just don't think that's going to be satisfactory on my deathbed when that time comes, especially like if we go out in an unexpected way, you know, it's one thing if you have like years and years to prepare for your death, you're like, oh, okay, you know, you're going out with some long-term disease or chronic illness. And not to say that that's easy, because I also don't want to disrespect anybody who's watched their parent go through cancer. That is torture. That is torture. And I'm aware of that. But I'm just talking about like the internal process of our relationship with ourselves. Like, when do we get to live? When do we get to give ourselves permission to live, to not be so afraid of other people's opinions of our of our being, of that humiliation, of that judgment, of that social ridicule, annihilation of self or isolation, you know? Like, nobody wants to be kicked out of the village, right? I'm setting a little... Palo Santo on fire here and I just had to blow it out because otherwise my, I think my room would catch on fire. So I think that was a good choice. <clears throat> it's just clearing the space, clearing the energy in the air. So uh, clearing the energy in the air. That's a whole other radio show. What the heck is that about? Um, so I started to take more risks in the name of my mother who no longer had a body. And that might sound like a euphemism too, but that's how I relate to my mom. I still have a relationship with my mom. She just doesn't have a body and I can't see her. I can't call her and that blows. But nevertheless, I do talk to my dead mother. I do. And she talks back to me. So fuck it. I'm doing it. Um, so I decided to be baldy. The worst thing that could happen is that I could humiliate myself. And one of my teachers in this lifetime, Michael Beckwith, Michael Bernard Beckwith, some might say Reverend, the Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, but let's just call him Michael. Uh, Michael says, if this is something that's been really valuable to me too, that he says that um, a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. And so I figure... If I'm here to line up with my soul, or at least that's the journey of lasting happiness, and fuck it, let's put the ego on the line. If I can kill my ego or get rid of the ego, diminish the ego, and be happier, then what do I got to do? Where do I got to sign? Just show me the way, people. Show me the way. So that's really what I'm looking for is that lasting path of happiness, fulfillment, and um, it's certainly a journey, or at least at this point, it's a journey. Hopefully, I'll get to that place, you know, that Satguru talks about of really appreciating and realizing in this, that the journey is temporary and being in a surrendered state to the soul or to the eternal aspects of life. And, Certainly, I'm interested in that, but I'm also, at this point, still interested in feeling sorry for myself. Let's be honest. I'm still interested in feeling sorry for myself sometimes, so I like to draw comedy from that myself. Um, I think it's funny, and I think I'm funny, and I think my brains are funny. My ego certainly is super funny, so, you know, I'm on this spiritual journey, and that can sound really um, 
a lot of things like uh, unattainable. That's probably a good word. And it can sound like somebody's ego doing a dance in a naked suit. That was a metaphor I just pulled out of my ass. But, you know, it's like just because you wrap somebody up in a in a white uh, robe doesn't make them spiritual. And a lot of times people are wrapping their egos up in, in some spiritual identity. So I get it, people. I get it. But, you know, that's my sincere internal path. And um, I also have to laugh at myself a lot to remind myself to not take any of it too seriously, including that kind of spiritual journey of liberation before I lose my body and hopefully I lose my mind. (laughs) So that's the journey. That's the journey, a journey of losing your mind over and over again. And stand-up comedy is actually a really, 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 really great teacher for that because it's so freaking humbling. You know, like you have to bring the fullness of your ego to that experience. Like the day of my performances, and I write about this in the chapter two, the day of my performances, every time, what you could call the ego, my ego, which you could call the mind, my sense of myself, my desire to stay safe and not humiliate myself, that part of me goes freaking wild like a wild animal in a cage that's like uh uh-uh you and not you're not going to dip me into that deep fire you are not going to dip me into that deep fire of life and uh somehow I push through it (laughs) I just do because I believe in it you know I believe in comedy and I believe in moving through fears and so this has been one of the biggest tests of my interest also in in going through fear and moving through fear Um, and a great testament as well to the benefit of that, you know, like on the other side of fear, what is on the other side of fear for you? What is on the other side of fear for you? Who would you be without that fear? I think it's such an amazing opportunity to ask ourselves that question, like to just become aware of the fear that really feels like it's holding you back. And I think a lot of times when we become aware of that fear, we feel like um, we got to wait till that fear goes away before you can act. But that's really the opportunity. That's what courage is, right? Courage is acting in the face of fear. And it can sound really illogical, like you're supposed to charge after a lion while it's charging after you. And I'm not wanting to suggest that. If a lion is charging after you, definitely climb that fucking tree. I think that's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) The cats climb trees, the lions climb trees? I don't know. Anyway, I'm not talking about like imminent danger, but the kind of danger that's just like a danger to your ego, to your sense of yourself, to your sense of your own boundaries, to your sense of your own well-being, that kind of danger. You can start small, doing something a little bit scary every day. I'm a believer in that. And that will help to, to strengthen and flex that muscle, you know? 
strengthen your body. Strengthening the body also helps to face fears. There's something connected, you know, about the body and the mind. Feel stronger. And in my 20s, I really went through a lot of experiences of uh, really facing my fears in in some really intense ways and, and really choosing it head on, doing a lot of adventurous, fun things that were really scary, but really getting the other side of the fear, you know, the other side of the fear being liberation from that fear. And the other side of that fear being exhilaration. The other side of that fear being the fear doesn't exist anymore. There is no unknown. So much of our fears is just like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I better wait until I know. But the truth is so much of our lives is like, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's be honest. Life is uncertain. Your future is uncertain. And I can say that with certainty because it's true for me too. Holy shit, my future is uncertain. All of ours is. The Earth's future is uncertain. And I think there can be some comfort in embracing that. What if we just accepted that our future is uncertain? And that's just the game we signed up for as humans. We don't know. Even if someone told you, I'm a psychic, you're going to die at 92. Well, that's nice. But do you really know? Would you really know? Or is there still a possibility that you could get hit by a truck? Or there would be some other choices that you could make before the age of 92 or choices somebody else could make. We really don't know. And I think in that place of really embracing an uncertainty, We can get over so much fear. My mom used to say that it's the anticipation that's the scariest. That's where the fear is. It's the anticipation because that's where the uncertainty is. We just don't know. But I'll tell you with some preparation, some learning, some willingness to grow and develop ourselves with some precautions taken, like if you're going to bungee jump, Make sure that the bungee is the right length and not too long before you attach it properly to your ankles. Jump off that platform in the sky. You got to take some precautions. Maybe put on a helmet just in case you hit the ground. That might not work. Nevertheless, taking some precautions, learning, growing, preparing yourself for things that you're afraid of, and then going through them purposefully. I'm not saying things that are dangerous to your body or to your mental health, but little by little stretching and growing, stretching and growing allows us to get over fear, allows us to be liberated while we're still in these bodies, allows us to learn and experience that experience of being being free from the limitations of our mind while we're still in these freaking bodies. The bodies are inevitably limited in some in, in many ways. You know? But let's find that journey, man, that journey of liberation and, and freedom and expansiveness into maybe more than we've been taught that we're capable of. And I'll tell you 
doing stand-up comedy certainly been one of the scariest things I've ever done. And it's also by far one of, I'm not sure I'm thinking about this right now. Is it been the most rewarding experience? No, maybe not. But it's definitely been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I can say that with certainty. It hasn't killed me and it's brought me tremendous joy, tremendous fulfillment in facing that fear and having friends and strangers tell me that they laugh so much and they enjoyed themselves so much and have light in their eyes of like, wow, I just witnessed a new possibility in living. Wow, I didn't know that was possible. Wow, thank you for expanding yourself and taking this on to show me that there's more possible for me in this life. So I think in some ways it's sort of been an ego death, you know, and and probably also there was an ego death there when my mom passed. For me, I mean, certainly for her. Um, so, you know, that's the journey. And I think there's so much liberation. And, and I think, you know, one way or another, we're going to get there. So we can do it more passively. It doesn't have to be so assertively, aggressively, just chasing after it. That doesn't really work anyway, does it? Gosh, we can certainly try. But I just like to try to remind myself to come back onto the path when I fall off, when I start to feel depressed, you know, because that still happens. Even though I've overcome a lot, even though I've worked with all of this stuff a lot, the spiritual wisdom and experiences, the taking risks, facing my fears, going after it, personal, uh, you know, individual personal growth and development, trying to go through so much. But I think really so much of the well-being and the sustained joy comes from that place of surrendering into what is. Because the desires, you can just keep chasing those motherfuckers. The word chase, I bank with chase, you know? And I wonder, every time I go to that bank, why would you name your bank a word that means to run after something while that thing runs away from you. That's chase. And so many of us are in that. And it really is kind of appropriate, actually, that we would associate the chase with money, really. But still, I bank with them. I'm the sucker. I am the sucker. I'm banking with the chase. I think they should change. They should be, you know, compassionate to us at least. Be kind and and change the name from Chase to the Chase. Let's be honest. It's the Chase. I'm going to start calling it that. I invite you to as well. I'm going to go to the Chase. Make a deposit. See how we're doing. Um. So now I'm doing stand-up comedy both in honor of my mom, who no longer has that as an option, as well as as my own personal development and uh, desire to set myself free, liberate myself. Meditation alone is really helpful and nice. But I need some freaking adventure and challenges too, you know? 
Um, so that came after, I have to be honest with you and say going after stand-up comedy came after processing a lot of my emotions. It wasn't just like going into stand-up comedy while I was, you know, bleeding in my wounds of having lost my mom. And that's an important part of the, the chapter of the book we're talking about today called I'm Still Here, Trials Turned into Transformation. Um, yeah, so I also want to illuminate the importance of grieving because, that's also like death. Like there's just no acknowledgement of that in our society. Like we think we're just supposed to go back to work and pay our taxes. We've got to stop and think about that for a moment. Talk about that. Go back to work and pay your taxes after your mom dies, after your wife or spouse dies, after your child dies. We need you to be paying taxes. We need you to get back into the chase. Mm. used to be that one income was enough. But now that women are willing to work, everything is more expensive. So now women have to work. We have to work. And sometimes we have to work more than one job to afford the price of things that have been raised in light of the raising of our incomes and our tax taxableness, our taxableness. So coming back to emotions, um, yeah, I think it's really important that we recognize the important, uh, importance of going through emotions as opposed to avoiding them or medicating them in the many ways that we medicate them, whether it be through medication, prescription, or medication that's in the streets. I think they're relatively the same, but the medication you can get from a doctor always is better, of course, because it's more stabilized and you can be observed and there's um, a consistency with it, even though you become a customer for life most often. Um, so if we're medicating them with medications or drugs, alcohol, which is a socially acceptable drug, or with sex, pornography, TV, movies, distractions, food, you know, there's all kinds of things to get addicted to. And whether you call it an addiction or a habit, we have to look at what what we're really seeking with these habits and, and if they're causing us more problems or solutions. So having gone through the grieving process, I went to um, a group that was that is and was and is still created by a, a Christian church. I'm not a Christian, as we talked about today. I'm, not a Christian. I don't play one on TV. I don't think I could. <clears throat> I could do stand-up comedy, but I can't play a Christian on TV. So anyway, this grief share group, that's what it's called, grief share, really taught me about the process of grieving and the importance of feeling and going through it and how if we don't, um, a lot of times we end up creating more problems for ourselves through these addictive behaviors, through the numbing or the avoiding, you know, then we end up with problems on top of our problems. So it's great to have a support system that allows for things like intense pain, great despair, incredible sadness, deep confusion, um, without being diagnosed as, you know, that's a problem and you need to get back to work. Because that those are all just indications. Those are all just details 
of grieving. That's what grief is. Like we want to think grief is just sadness. You're grieving the loss of a loved one. Grief is every negative feeling, every negative experience, similar to depression. It's like, it's not just a feeling tone. It's a process that comes and goes and hits you in waves that are unpredictable. And, you know, it can sound really bipolar to say I go into this intense despair and then it passes and I can find great happiness in the passing of it. But I think, you know, that's a big part of why we need these support systems. You know, if you are, you know, somebody going through great grief, it's important to connect them with these kinds of resources like Grief Share and to learn about the importance of going through grief instead of um, avoiding it. And in that way, allowing yourself to to heal and if, if you want more information about that, you can find information about GriefShare at GriefShare.org. Or is it GriefShare.com? It's one of the two. Um, I'm looking it up real quick here. I see GriefShare.com and GriefShare.org slash find a group. It's all free, so I'm promoting this, you know, just I'm not, I'm not getting paid for this shit, man. Just promoting it so, it, you know, it can be helpful. Um... And then what can come out of that, that process of grieving is real potential, you know, real space. And, and it can feel like a lot of emptiness, like a vacuum, you know, where there was something or someone there um, that's no longer there. And so we have to find really important ways to fill it, you know, and I think it's an important time to really look at your values because that emptiness can feel really intolerable. Emptiness is never something we really seek in the Western world. But in the Eastern traditions of meditation and yoga and spiritual development and liberation, the emptiness is really an invitation. Um, and that's something I've been really working with lately is, is sitting with the emptiness. And I kind of hate it. Quite honestly, the Jenna in me, <laughs> the Jenna grasper, I really hate the emptiness. It makes me feel really lonely and alone separated and separate um and i know nobody wants to feel that way and i know that at some point everybody feels that way and hopefully it passes um for you for all of us that emptiness and loneliness and separation passes but being with it can can provide um great sustained connection that infinite connection that we're really seeking that place of really finding, excuse me, really finding that place of finding a home right where we are, a home with ourselves, a home in a sense of contentment and enjoying of just being with the self, just being with myself. And that's a process. I mean, the truth is I'm not there yet, but my teacher, my teacher now is Amma, um, and there are many Amas out there because Amma means mother. But um, if you want to look her up, you go to Amma.org. Um, her full name is Amritananda Mai Devi, um, which indicates within her name her, the state of her consciousness, which is pretty dang cool. Um, but she's teaching.
teaching me about emptiness and about being with the emptiness. <clears throat> so a couple things uh, more about the chapter and talking about this journey um, is acknowledging that along with the loss and the emptiness that I experienced of losing my mom, that it was two months before she passed that I separated from my marriage and relationship of almost 10 years. And so that was a great loss. And all the while, both before and during and following and continuing till today, my dad has um, been suffering with two degenerative diseases that affect his body and his mind. And this story is so hard for me to talk about. It's still really hard to talk about, and it's not really all that funny. Not yet. Hopefully one day it will be. That would be great. Um, my comedy teacher, she really um, encourages me to talk about this shit, but I'm like, this is not funny. This is not funny. But I'm hopeful that one day it will be. But nevertheless, I bring it up even though it's not funny and not easy to talk about because... Man, we're all going through a lot, you know, and, we're, you know, you see somebody doing something like stand-up comedy, you think that person must be in a really good place and having a lot of fun in their life. But it's really such a broad and profound contrast that we're all experiencing, that this kind of bipolar experience of life, you know, these great triumphs and these great successes and these great um overcoming transformation that we are being forced into for our survival right now on the planet and then great despair and great separation and great loss and great grieving. You know, there's a lot being lost both on a very personal level as well as globally, you know, between the trees and the earth and the animals and the, the well-being of the planet is really in question right now. So we're really needing to grow, you know, and that's, I think so much of what, this journey is about for me and for all of us is to be present with what we're being asked to grow through, to go through and grow through and to survive through. And, and it's not just about survival, but, you know, with our attentiveness, with our attentiveness, with our surrender, with our conscious awareness, we can survive it. And it, I think it really can be a question of survival sometimes, you know, like even if you're you're going through great loss or grieving or despair and that loss doesn't give you a heart attack or some kind of deadly disease, we can all take ourselves out in, in the pain. And I've definitely been there. I'm like, there's got to be something better than this. And I can't think of what it is right now. So I'm going to look at death as a good option here. But I'll tell you, it's never really a good option because even on the other side, you you are aware of the suffering. You take the problems with you. And that's what I've experienced, noticed, believe that you take the suffering of others that you cause with you. And that's that sort of in-between place where people can get kind of stuck in witnessing the sorrow of others left behind. So Instead of going into the depths of despair, we have to remember that pain is temporary. Um, my local fish market guy at the at Whole Foods, my friend at Whole Foods who um, gives me fish, he has a um, he has this tattoo on his arm that says hope, and it's written down his arm, like you know H O P E in the in the length of the arm. And then it's written out as an acronym so that each letter um, 
represents another word. So hope essentially meaning hold on, pain ends. H-O-P-E, hold on, pain ends. So that is the good news I'm here to share with you. I don't want to deny anybody's suffering, but rather to touch your suffering, to embrace you, to embrace me in the fullness of our life experience. We're just about out of time here. And to remember that the truth of our being is infinite. And uh, we go through a lot to get there. That's for certain. Um, And I hope this has brought some illumination to your life, to your heart, to your pain. And thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for caring enough to listen and give me the space to talk about myself for a whole hour and what matters to me, what's helped me get through and to come into a place of transformation and real triumph to stand on a stage and enjoy it so profoundly. I hope I've said that already. Um, If I haven't, let me illuminate that, that standing in the face of the fear has been so fulfilling, both in the after effect as well as feeling profoundly and distinctly um, and exquisitely alive in the experience of it. So I encourage you to go out there today, do something that scares the pants off of you. All right. Keep your pants on people. Come on, keep your pants on, but do something that scares you a little bit today. And you'll notice that you'll come out of fear and it'll be in service to you and your growth. It'll be in service to others, hopefully as well. So much love, happy day, happy Monday. This is the hypnotic comic show. Much love and appreciation to Doug and Don, our twin producers. Much love to Namid Wolf, who created the song at the beginning. Anybody else would love to submit anything for consideration, interviews, music, sponsorship, please do so to bbsradio.com. I'm Jenna Grayson. You can find me jennagrayson.com, thehypnoticcomic.com, on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, so great talking to you guys. Thank you so much. So much love, peace, and joy where you are. Deep bows to your journey. Lots of love. And talk to you next Monday at noon right here on BBS Radio. If you miss it live, we're on iTunes, the podcast, iHeartRadio, and Google Listen. Lots of love, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much.